And good morning to you. I'm Dave Mitchell. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary Church as well. And it's good to be back with you. I've been gone the last two weeks, uh, maybe a two or three, my wife uh, at least noticed uh, that I've not been here. But it's good to be back with you. No, you don't need to really. No. Okay. Thank you. It's good to be back. Listen, uh, the reason we were gone, I was with uh, my good friend Dave Herring, who's the uh, chair of our elder board, and so I had to behave the whole time. But we rode motorcycles 4,900 miles up 1101 up into Canada, Lake Louise, Banff, and through Calgary, and then down through Idaho, Utah, and the likes uh, through beautiful Bishop, uh, California as well. So it was a great journey, and one of the things that we experienced on that journey when we were in Calgary and uh, we got separated, Dave had the uh, uh, address and the directions to the Comfort Inn. I always like to choose the Comfort Inn because they always had a nice breakfast right there so you didn't have to look for breakfast. So we had a little Choice app, Choice Hotels, Comfort Inn. So we got the Comfort Inn in Calgary. And uh, he had the directions to that place. And then as he realized he had to take this uh, ramp off the freeway, I didn't know that, and I had to go straight. Well, we got separated, of course. And uh, the problem is that in Canada, they don't let you use your cell phone if you're an American. And so uh, I had no cell phone coverage. I didn't think about international and all that kind of stuff, which is crazy. Don't we live in a global community that we should be able to use it anywhere? In any case, uh, so I couldn't use the cell phone up there. I had no internet, no cell phone, no texting, nothing. And I didn't know where the motel was. And so I was trying to figure out where in the world is the Comfort Inn. And I'm in downtown Calgary, which is just like downtown L.A. or any other downtown place. And there's some homeless people wandering around and someone that looked like maybe she's a prostitute. And so I was uh, trying to figure out who could I talk to. I was looking for some place to go, like a Wi-Fi place, like a bar or some other restaurant that might have Wi-Fi that I could, so I could look up the address. And as I was going through downtown um, Calgary, there's hardly any other traffic. But then there was this guy, this 20-something, this millennial, this hipster guy on a sport bike that has stopped at a stoplight. So I pulled up next to him. So here's the old guy on a big touring Harley talking to the hipster on a little sport bike. And I yelled at him because he had the full face helmet on, could I possibly use your cell phone to look something up on the internet? Now that's the last thing he thought he'd have anybody ask him at that point in time uh, that evening. And so he said, what? So we pulled over to the side of the road and he looked up the address for the Comfort Inn on his cell phone. Actually, I have navigation on my motorcycle. I couldn't figure out how to work it. So he tried to help me work it, you know. And uh, so he finally showed me where the Comfort Inn. I was actually heading sort of in the right direction and then eventually found it. And Dave was out on the street waving me down. And uh, so I got there. But here is the interesting thing, aside from just being able to talk about that so I could use the right as a tax write-off as a business expense. <laughs> um, but other than that, other than that reason, I don't know if you know anything about the motorcycle community. But there is an instant connection when you are with other bikers. There's sort of this uh, unwritten rule of you're one of us. And when you're riding down the road, motorcyclists, you'll see them, they go like this. Or if there's a cop down there, they'll go like this. I actually had a CHP cop go like this about a (laughs) trap. He actually warned me that there are other cops behind him. So it was interesting. I've never had that happen before. And so you have those kind of things that go on. And so the reason this young hipster guy and his sport bike 
was willing to spend time with me, whereas I couldn't find any car people to do that, people in steel cages. Uh, the reason I couldn't get that to happen <laughs> is because there's this connection between his bike and my bike, although we are completely different in so many other ways. And what happened is that we had, here we go, common ground. Common ground was the motorcycles. What I'd like for us to understand in this new series that we're beginning called Common Ground is that in Jesus Christ, you and I, we have common ground. And it's upon that common ground that we want to travel as we explore a lot of very, could be volatile and could be very edgy and could be divisive issues. So my heart and my desire is that we find the common ground in Jesus and approach people the way Jesus approached people. And we're going to use John chapter 4 this morning as that common ground passage that so many of us are familiar with as Jesus entertained this relationship with a Samaritan woman at the well. You might have your Bibles in hand in John chapter 4, but as another illustration of something just even this last week, this went sort of viral out there. I remarked about it in my email if you get that. Here's a picture of Bo Paskey, who is the young redhead boy on the uh, right-hand side. He is an 11-year-old, I think a fifth grader in school. And on the other side is this uh, fellow, Travis Rudolph, who plays wide receiver for Florida State football. And normally, newspapers don't talk about school lunches, eating school lunches. But this one they did. And why is that? Because Bo is an 11-year-old who has autism. And every day his mother would worry as to whether Bo is eating lunch alone because the other kids don't engage with him. And so in walks Travis, this wide receiver, and all the team was there to intermingle with the kids. And Travis saw Bo sitting by himself. And Travis went over and introduced himself and said, Bo, do you mind if I sit down and have lunch with you? And Bo was thrilled, of course, of course, please sit down. After the lunch, Bo had Travis put his autograph on his lunch pail. And that's one of the things he talked about afterwards in a news interview on a network TV station. And what struck me about this is this image right here is crossing the great divide. And in the headline of this particular article is that this star football player and this autistic 11-year-old found this sort of common ground, but he reached beyond the divide. And as a result of that, made a connection with an individual that others in that lunchroom had avoided. But also sort of the image, as we think about some of the topics we're going to be covering this next nine weeks that there is this other divide that is being bridged, and it has to do with race, has to do with education, has to do with age. All of those areas that we're hearing a lot about these days in the newspapers and in various communities in the presidential election, all of those divides that we hear so much about, it is non-existent in this photo as these two individuals found a community because they were willing to go across the divide. I want us to be willing 
to go across the divide to find common ground with everybody who needs Jesus Christ. And some of us in this room need Jesus Christ. And so John chapter 4 is Jesus' common ground as he reaches across the divide. And we'll explain a little bit of the background. In John 4, let me read some of the text. In verse 1, therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee. And he had passed through Samaria. So he came to a city in Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. You can go tour it next February if you'd like. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well, and it was about sixth hour. The sixth hour would be noon. So Jesus is wearied. He is a full-on man. He is a human being who got tired like we did do and has thirst like we have. And so it's noon. It's hot. He goes to the well, and then as he sat at the well, the disciples went to get some food. And it says in verse 7, there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me drink. For disciples had gone away into the city to buy food, and therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And she said, sir, you have nothing to draw with Water from the well is deep, and where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than your father Jacob, are you? And then in verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but he goes on to describe, and we'll talk about it in a minute, that if you drink my water, you never thirst again. Background. When Jesus was traveling from Judea in the south to Galilee in the north, it says in the text, he had to pass through Samaria. He had to. And those are key words that I underline because he didn't have to except as ordained by God. Because here is a traveler's map as he would travel from the south in Judea and going up to the north in Galilee. There were a couple of routes at least that he could have taken. Now, as you notice on the chart or on the screen, the map, the traditional way is to go around, to go around to the right and then come up to the top. It's the longer way to go. It's probably, if you put it into your GPS, that's the way the GPS would tell you to go. So often they seem to take you this circuitous route that makes no sense. And so that's the way the Jews would often go because the Jewish people, the really orthodox ones, they don't want to go through Samaria because Jews don't get along with Samaritans. So who are the Samaritans? I put a little bit on the back side of the outline for you, but let me summarize it verbally. The Samaritans are a group of people that were half Jewish and half Gentile. They came out of the history of the nation of Israel way back in 722 B.C. Assyria came from the area of Iraq and Iran that we know today. The Assyrians came and destroyed the northern ten kingdoms, often referred to as Israel. And when the Assyrians came in and destroyed, the men of Assyria began to live in Israel, and in particular, this area of Samaria. And as they lived there, they began to intermarry with the Jewish women. 
The Jewish women should never have intermarried with these men, but they did. Uh, They had grown away from God and his commandments and his word. And so it felt very normal and natural. So as they intermarried, the offspring of this intermarriage, they became the Samaritans. That was their title, their nationality, if you will. And they became this half Jewish, half Gentile group of people that the Jewish people, those pure from Abraham, would not want to commingle with. So they would go out of their way to go around Samaria. But John says Jesus had to go through Samaria. Why did he have to? Because John is letting us know this is an ordained divine moment by Jesus to go to a well at noon when he's thirsty because he knows that's when that Samaritan woman will arrive there at that well. So he had to do that. Now, it's interesting, the Samaritan woman that a lot of us will, might identify with. She is a woman that is caught up in some sort of a sex addict behavior. She has had many, many men sexually, and Jesus points that out. She acknowledges that's true. And the reason she would go at noon when most of the women would go at dusk when it's cooler is so that she wouldn't have to interact with even the people of her own community because she was an outcast amongst her own, let alone the Jewish population. So Jesus is there at noon, being God. He knew her. He knew her heart. He knew that she would be there, because that's when she could go and not have to co-mingle with other women who would get on her case. So Jesus interacts with her. And what's interesting is Jesus then begins to bridge a lot of divides that you and I might have in our lives. Let me just delineate some of them on the outline. When they gathered together at this well, Jesus and the Samaritan woman, it was going beyond the race or ethnic divide. And this coming two months, we're going to have an African-American pastor come. And he's going to share with us his story, his life, and bring a perspective about race relations that we can learn from. He's a dear, godly follower of Jesus. He loves the Word of God, believes what we believe, but he's going to come with a perspective that's going to help us have common ground with people of other races. We're also seeing that Jesus has this divide between man and woman. It's pretty unthinkable for a man and a woman like Jesus to commingle like that, but he has to go across that divide. And we want to go across that divide to understand how we need to bridge that and find common ground. He also, sexuality. Jesus is holy. This woman has, has multiple, multiple men. One of the things we're going to be talking about as we go through the course of the next two months is the whole area of the gay movement, gay marriage, and the whole sexuality and transgender and all these issues where some of us have attitudes that maybe need to be changing. Not our beliefs, not our convictions, not biblical truth, but our approach. We also find that there was religious practices where the Jews were in Jerusalem and the Samaritans, they worshipped in Mount Gerizim. When the Samaritans uh, went pagan, godless, they finally came back to God, but they then built themselves a place of worship at Mount Gerizim whereas the Jews had the temple in Jerusalem. 
So they had two separate religious practices. One of the things we're going to learn about is the religion of Islam this couple of months. And that sometimes we have these preconceived ideas, and yet God says, I love people regardless of their religious practices and have common ground in Jesus to reach them for his sake. We also find historical grudges. There's past resentments. One of the things that the Jewish people did and the Samaritans would attack, in fact, if you read about it in Nehemiah and Ezra, the Samaritans attacked the Jews as they came back to rebuild Jerusalem and the walls and the temple. And then the Jews, after 400 B.C., went to Mount Gerizim and destroyed the Samaritans' religious facilities. So there's a lot of grudges there that goes with this. And Jesus is on the scene here as he sees this taking place. So we might have past grudges about things that have happened, maybe even not to us, but our ancestors or who we are, our community, our race. And we want to bridge the divide that is there. And there were differences that could be very personal. Jesus could have said, I'm too busy. I've got a lot of work to do to stop and drink from this well with this one woman. I've got to reach the masses. I don't have time for this one woman. He could have said, I'm too tired. I'm thirsty. I'll get to her later. He did not. He's deprived physically and in thirst, but he spent the time with the woman. He could have said, I'm too fearful. Sometimes we're too fearful to reach certain people because we have preconceived ideas. He could have been fearful of what's everybody going to say about a rabbi spending time with a Samaritan woman who is sexually active in the way that she is. What would people think? He's fearful of how others would react to him. He could have had that in his mind. Sometimes we do. What would others think? He could have said, it's too uncomfortable for me to spend time with this kind of a person. And finally, you know, she's way too sinful for me. I don't want to compromise my faith by spending time with them, loving them. It looks like I endorse their behavior. It looks like I'm okay with the way their lifestyle's going. He could have thought that. Some people might have said that. Maybe the disciples even considered that when they came back and saw him with her. But he says, I'm not worried about those things. I'm just here to reach her with the living water of Jesus. And so as we come to people who are very different than us with different beliefs and different backgrounds, we need to approach people like Jesus did. And let me sum up four qualities of Christ-like that really impacts me, and I hope it impacts you. And the first is this. We need to be willing to treat people or connect with people that society or the church or even some of us here at Calvary might treat as outcasts. We've got to go beyond that. Notice that again the comment in verse 9. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to Jesus, How is that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. That word dealings, it actually could mean the actual utensil of the water that comes out of the well. She may have been thinking or saying or communicating in some way, it's not proper for a Jewish man to drink out of the pail of water that I, a Samaritan woman, have drawn from this well. Jews don't use the utensils that Samaritans use because in the Jewish mind, Samaritan women are constantly dirty. And if I can say this delicately, they would often think that they're always on their period and that I could never be around a woman who was constantly, as the Scriptures might say, dirty, or as some of them might think in their minds. So she's saying, why would you 
use the utensil that I have brought to you. Jesus said, I want to bridge that gap. Those are false notions. Those are things that I'm not going to be concerned with because I'm reaching out to you that everyone else might treat as an outcast. It's easy for us to sway away from that. Remember just three weeks ago, the Sunday that I was leaving, as I was walking from my parking spot, I parked way over there on the other parking lot because I'm such a good guy so that you can have the best parking spots. And so as I'm walking across the parking lot, there is this woman approaching me. It's like three weeks ago. You might have seen her. And looking at the way she was dressed, I thought, you know, she's not coming to church because she hardly had anything on. And her hair was all down. Her makeup was kind of smeared. She looked disheveled. But there wasn't much on the top and there wasn't much on the bottom. And I thought, do I go to her and talk to her and invite her to church? What happens if somebody sees me talking to this woman that looks like she's just had a night out with whatever was probably illegal? Candidly, what was in my mind is that I thought if I'm talking to her in the parking lot and some of you drive by and see me talking to her in the parking lot, what will you think? See, that's how, that's how cowardly I can be with people that look so different than me. I would use some of the, I'm too tired, I'm too busy, i got a sermon to preach, i got, you know, people thinking of thoughts that I don't want them to think. We need to go beyond that and say, you know, Lord, if this is a divine appointment as it was between Jesus and this woman, we need to get beyond that. So I missed what could be an opportunity, although it might have been the better part of wisdom, who knows. But we will have encounters that come out of nowhere like that, that God then presents and say, okay, you're Jesus, Reach her. Reach him. Don't use all those excuses that you have in your mind to steer away from someone that I deeply love and really needs me. The second thing I notice that comes out of this text is that we need to remember that we're here to offer the living water of Jesus to renew their lives. We're here to offer Jesus, and Jesus is referring to as the living water. It's refreshing. As verse 14 says, But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The Scriptures love the analogy of water. It is refreshing. It is renewing. And we are in Christ. We have water springing up to eternal life. You and I, who are followers of Jesus, we have this well spring of water. So many other Scriptures. John 7 says this, He who believes in me, as the Scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit is not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. The Spirit in us is like this living water that flows out of us. Isaiah had said, Therefore you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. And in that day you will say, Give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Make them remember that his name is exalted. We are the springs of salvation, Jesus in us. And then I love in the future in heaven, the spirit and the bride says, come and let us hear who says, come and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. Even in heaven, we are taking the water of Christ. Now we have water up here. Let me, let me illustrate a little bit. I'm going to invite 
uh, my favorite Jewish pastor at Calvary Church. Matt Davis is going to come up here. Yeah, give him a hand. Let's say that uh, I'm walking around and I'm the Samaritan, or let's say I'm Jesus, you're the Samaritan. No, let's say that uh, you're, and uh, I come alongside Matt and say, boy, you know, I have Christ in me and I want to do all that I can to refresh you. And so I would give to you, this would be out of my life, this is the analogy, the spiritual water of life. And so would you like to be renewed? And we just kindly give to someone like this and say, you know, be refreshed. We are here to refresh you and to come alongside and support you. Thank you. That was good. Is that good water? Yeah, it's all right. Okay, there's something extra in there, but I'll I'll tell you later. It's from the tap, I think. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't Aquafina, I could tell. Yeah, no. You will have kidney stones in no time short. So, um, in any case, it's nice to come along. Now, it's interesting to me, you know, I heard, I heard, so I'd like to be refreshed and be refreshing to you as Matt as well, as best I can. But something I heard when I was on my motorcycle ride that the first Sunday that I was gone, did you put some Instagrams up there of me? And, uh, <laughs> and you made, you and Mer- Eric, you know, like some mockery? It, and Well, it was mostly Eric's idea. And uh, uh, <laughs> I don't think he's here today, so I think it was, it was Eric's idea. It was Eric's idea. Yeah. Okay. Uh, sorry about it. I tried talking him out of it, but he, he outranks me a little bit, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting because, you know, so occasionally you get people like Matt who just, who, who make fun of you, and it becomes <laughs> offensive, and it's very disturbing to me. And, of course, I cried myself to sleep that night when I heard about it, Sunday night. Uh, did you take a selfie of yourself crying? <laughs> that would be the... <laughs> should have got no, that. No, I, I, I did not do that. But I'm sure Dave heard me sobbing in my bed <laughs> as I thought about all the hurtful things that you said. And, and so sometimes when we get hurt by people like Matt, you know, we have the refreshing water and... Typically, what Jesus wants us to do is to offer water in peace, to enjoy it, and to be refreshed. But sometimes we get upset with people. Sometimes they do things or say things that are offensive to us. And sometimes we use words that are hurtful. And sometimes, instead of offering them the living water of life, we just go (laughs) like that. Yeah. And now I'm really upset because it got on me as well. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. I I have something for you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that would be fair play. Anyways, uh, but uh, thank you, Matt, for coming up here. I just uh, feel so much better now. I I wish Eric was here still. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But you get the point. You know, I hope you get the point. That... Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and that we have the living water, the springs of living water from us. And when believers in Jesus, followers of Jesus, when followers of Jesus, it was worth it, wasn't it? It was worth it. Because you will remember this moment. You will remember this. But when we are followers of Jesus, instead of offering someone who has maybe done something, said something, offended us in some way, bothered us in some way, instead of offering living water, it's like throwing water in their face. And as you reacted to that, we should react to any time we have a critical, judgmental, or shame-filled language or deed that because someone is different or offensive, 
we think we have the right to throw water in their face. That's not right. That's not Jesus. I wasn't Jesus. Now, Matt is more like Jesus. Like, you may have some of the DNA of Jesus and Mary is when you bought. Anyways, Sorry. thank you, Matt, for being are, are here. Are we even now? We're even now. Okay, yeah, good. we're good. Thanks. So. Matt's a good sport. I'll give him a raise next week. <laughs> Don't hold me to it, though. Uh, well, listen, let me wrap up with this. You know, what we really need to do is to love, Je- love people like Jesus did regardless of the situations. Uh, like this woman, Jesus knows every sinful condition and yet reaches out in love. Notice in, again, 16 through 19. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are correctly said, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands. And the one you, whom you now have is not your husband. And this you have said truly. So he compliments her. But she has no husband because she's shacking up with the guy. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. What a gracious response, right? He just put her down for her sinful behavior. But he does it in such a gracious, kind way. He says, man, you're, you're insightful. And there's a lot we could say about this, but let me just say this part of it. What I love about Jesus is that he had a divine appointment at the well at noon. He had to go through Samaria because he knew this woman would be there. And he knew this woman's history before she even shared anything about her. He knew her background. He knew her wrongdoing. He knew how bad she was. And he still approaches her. He still reaches out to her. He still engages with her. He risks his reputation as a Jewish rabbi with a Samaritan woman. Even knowing how bad she was. Because the whole point is because she's bad, she needs Jesus. And I want to encourage us at Calvary that a lot of us have relationships with individuals that we know are doing things that we know are unbiblical. And they're offensive to God and maybe to us. And even knowing that, our obligation is to still love them. And his love for her didn't compromise his convictions. He never said, oh, it's okay, it's a new era. He still believed it was wrong, but he still reached her because that's right to do. And sometimes we get in our minds about people, things that we shouldn't be thinking, and it begins to affect our relationships with them. Let me take you back when Ron and I were riding bikes. Sorry, Ron, I didn't know I was going to throw a picture of you up there on the screen like this in our tight tight little spandex. But uh, I'm on the right. I'm the obese one on the right. Ron's on the left there. Ron's going to be as fit as he can. He's going he's to live to be 100. He's going to look like that when he's 100 years old. It's just amazing. So as we rode the 100-mile journey in Palm Springs, a century ride of Palm Springs, when we got there, I'm wearing, as you can see it on the screen there, a Biola jersey. And so as I walked up to one of the individuals that are kind of helping this big ride, it's a big deal, you know, it's big, lots of people involved. There was a guy who said, oh, you're from Biola. I said, yeah. He says, I have a friend that goes to Biola. Oh, really? So we kind of struck up a nice little conversation. And then we went off on a ride. And then after the 100 miles, we come up to the people that are there, and they've got all these little places where you can get 
food and stuff like that. And here's this guy again. And he saw the biologist. Oh, yeah, biologist. Hey, you're the biologist guy friend. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Oh, tell me about your friend. Who's your friend? He says, oh, yeah, my friend goes to Biola. He's the president of the queer underground at Biola. I go, oh, oh. Well, I'm on the board of trustees at Biola. (laughs) (laughs) And so we both realized, "Uh uh-oh, we got something going on here. And I, I enjoyed the relationship with the guy. And then, I'm being honest with you, when he said that about his friend, and I know from the board's perspective how we've had to, manage some of those things. But when he said that, something went off in my mind. And it was like a wall. Right? Just like, uh-oh, well, nice knowing you'll see you around. That, that's kind of what was going on in my mind. I'm not saying that's the right thing to do. In fact, it's the wrong thing to do. And some of you, maybe, might react the same way with a wall going up. Some of you may say, Dave, you're such a bigot What's wrong with that? And you look at me with that attitude of criticism and judgmentalism, and for you, a wall is going up. Sometimes we look at people, for example, in politics. And I'm a Hillary supporter, and then I find out that you're a Trump supporter, and oh, a wall goes up. Or I'm a Trump supporter, and you're a Hillary supporter, and a wall goes up. And something clicks in our brain. Sometimes we're younger and we look at someone who's older who's got hair like me and suddenly a wall begins, click, Uh uh-oh, this guy doesn't relate to me at all, I don't get him. Or sometimes we older people, we look at the younger people and a wall begins to go up because I don't get them, I don't get Instagram, I don't get all the, the things they have in all their places of their skin and the tattoos, I don't get their world, I don't get them at all. And a wall goes up. What this next two months, I hope, will help us with is to never let a wall go up where Jesus has provided for you and for me an opportunity to reach people with the living water of Christ. And I invite you into that journey. And then finally, our priority simply is this, to invite anyone to God's eternal kingdom. Invite them into that kingdom that through forgiveness in Christ, we can, in the spirit of truth of Christ, we can bring them to Jesus. Our job is not behavior modification. Our job is not to tell people how to live their lives. Our job is to bring the living water of Jesus. Let them drink that water, not throw it in their face. Let them drink the water of Christ and let Christ in them, in the spirit and truth of Christ, in them begin to change them to be who Jesus is. And as long as we are who Jesus is, we have a lot greater chance of helping them become like Jesus as well. Remember, our goal, as much as some of these areas are important, politics, all these, uh, the gay and all the gay, transgender, all these things, yeah, they're important, and we, we need to know our stuff. But I'm telling you, if any of those things, who we vote for or what I think about gay marriage or abortion, all these things, if they become an obstacle for people to know Jesus, we have failed as a church. Because the only reason we're here is to bring the eternal kingdom of the living water of Christ 
to people who need them. There are always going to be other differences. But we need to bring the living water of Jesus to people who need Jesus. And if we don't do it, no one else is. Non-followers of Jesus won't do it. You and I who believe and follow Jesus, we're alone. The communicators, the modelers of bringing living water of Christ to those who need him. Now we're going to close our service with communion and I invite you to consider, God, where can I grow in this way? How can I become like Jesus and the Samaritan woman bringing the water of life to those that are very different than me, whether it's age or politics, sexuality, sinfulness, whatever it may be, race, whatever it may be, that I don't let those things stop the living water flowing from me to others. That's what we want. And let me just suggest this as well as we go to communion. There may be some of us who feel like the Samaritan woman, pretty unworthy, pretty dirty, having lived a life that is just dishonoring in so many ways. And we don't think Jesus could ever love me because I've been so bad. And yet we know that Jesus loved her desperately to risk his reputation and his life, to reach out to her. So I want you to know if you're more like the Samaritan woman, and you feel like God could never love me for the things I've done and said in my past, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, yesterday. He could never love me for what I've done. Use this story to remind yourself that Jesus desperately loves you and that your behavior, your thoughts, and your deeds that you condemn yourself for, Jesus loves you in spite of them. He loves you right through them. The flow of his water, it's like gravity into your heart. Just open your heart and receive his forgiveness that Christ can be in you. As we share this communion, the bread symbolizes his body. The blood is symbolized through the cup. We want to take those elements and digest them even as it is symbolic of receiving the life of Christ in us. So let's have the bread be passed and Enjoy this communion moment where Jesus, again, is reflective of the love that he has for you and for me, no matter what we've done, no matter who we are, and that love we can express to others. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this bread as it is about to be passed. Thank you for the life that it comes through Jesus. And thank you that Jesus loves us like he loved the Samaritan woman in ways that maybe the disciples just didn't ever quite get it. Help us to get it, that you love us no matter what, and that as we open our hearts to your forgiveness and to your grace, you are willing to flow into our hearts and our lives with that life-giving breath to renew, to restore, to heal. Thank you, Father, as we now receive this communion of bread to remember you well. In Jesus' name, amen.